We're thankful to have with us this morning Pastor Craig Tuck. Pastor Craig serves as the Director of Mission for the Charleston Baptist Association. If you don't know what that is, it's a, a group of churches that cooperate here in our greater community to see the cause of the gospel spread. And our sense is that we can do more together than we can by ourselves. And so the association serves to strengthen churches and strengthen leaders and also to plant churches. And so Pastor Craig has been a church planter himself. A pastor is currently a pastor and elder at a Citadel Square Baptist Church here in our community. He's one of the first people I met uh, moving to Charleston because one thing you learn quickly about Craig is that he knows everybody. And so if people know anyone, they know Pastor Craig. So I'm thankful for him. And one of the things that I've just enjoyed seeing from a distance, honestly, as I have young children in my home, is the relationship he has with his adult children and how they're serving the Lord. And so your life has been an encouragement to me, and we're thankful for, for your ministry among our churches here and the good work you do there. And we're looking forward to your ministry of the Word this morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for that gracious welcome, uh, Joshua. It's great to be here at Ashley River Baptist Church. Good morning. It's a joy to be here. Um, uh, Joshua's way too kind talking about how I know everyone. Um, I got text messages this week, and they said, Craig, are you, what's going on? I've seen your name around town. I said, oh boy, hope it's not at the post office, right? <laughs> and uh, they said, no, it's on a marquee on Highway 17. Are, are you still at CBA? Are you, where, where are you at now? What's going on? I said, no, no, I'm, I have the privilege to speak there this coming Sunday. So it's been fun to get text messages this week with my name out front. So I'm sorry that you all looked at my name several times this week. Um, I'm so honored to be here. It's a joy for me. Um, as Director of Missions, I'm coming into my third year uh, with Charleston Baptist Association. And one thing I've so appreciated is the opportunity to come and visit in our churches, 78 churches in the Tri-County area. Uh, we have uh, seen God do amazing things in our long past history. You know, 1751 was a long time ago. And that's when this association was started. In fact, you could, it pretty much predates a lot of things, doesn't it? 1776, I mean, it predates a lot of things. But it also predates, really, our, our own convention. So out of the CBA, the Charles Baptist Association, four churches said, we're better together. And they began to form this association of churches so that the gospel can be advanced and also so there can be encouragement among the churches. And I love it when a pastor says the vision for the association in front of you. That's encouraging for me because that's what it's about. Uh, this is not, uh, we're not a parachurch organization to say, hey, we've got great ideas, go and do that, churches. We want to come around and help strengthen the work that God's called you to do here in your geography and around the, around the region, and for that matter, around the world. So it's just a privilege to be part of that. Um, I also bring you greetings from Citadel Square Baptist Church. Tomorrow night at our annual meeting, we have some reports to give, and one of those reports is going to be about how many of our churches have gone through a revitalization, a repurposing. Some say the word replanting, and I think that's really what happened at Citadel Square. And I know that you know Citadel Square well because Asher was planted by Citadel Square a long time ago. Well, I'm pleased to tell you that as God has moved in amazing ways, it was just about three years ago as a church plant that I was leading was sharing space, we were sharing space with a wonderful congregation of faithful believers, and 45 of them uh, were, was the total number. They sat in pews, and they just loved the Lord and were faithful. We had the opportunity to come in early and worship there. We got to know each other. Long story short, advancing the timeline, 
Uh, now we are one family, one church, still Citadel Square Baptist Church. We took our church plant name, put it in the file folder, because we were around as long as Citadel Square was. And you know, today there's over 500 people worshiping there on a Sunday morning. So we rejoice in that. That's the work of God's hands. That's the work what he has done. But seeing Citadel cadets and the College of Charleston students come in, over 28, I think 28 baptisms, what has happened in the past two years, that's all the work of the Lord. But I want to tell you, because we have a history together, of what God is doing. I'm excited about what he's doing here at Ashley River. I'm excited that God has brought Joshua here to be your pastor. And I want you to know that we pray for him. We pray for you. We pray for your staff. We pray that God's blessing and strength would be upon you. And in, in the songs and everything that you've already said, that the gospel will go forward. That's what it's about, is making his name great, making his name known to all people. What's amazing about Greater Charleston is I serve in this director's role. I just want to say briefly one other thing before we get into the word this morning. Our city and our region is changing, isn't it? Don't have to convince you very much. Just get in traffic, right? You know it's changing. Did you know there's about 770,000 people that call residents here in Greater Charleston, the Tri-County area? Of course, when you make the top of the list for tourism, number one city in America to visit, and then just a few months ago, the Post and Courier said it's the number one city to move to. Well, thank you, Post and Courier, right? <laughs> that means more traffic. Here's the interesting facts. By the year 2028, it is predicted that we will be around 1 million people in the Tri-County area. That's a lot of people. Um, what's interesting about the number that we're at currently is that George Barner Research says in the Charleston, greater Charleston area, there's about 90,000 people on any given Sunday that get up in the morning and drive to an evangelical church and worship. Which means, based on our current number, there's about 680,000 people that are choosing to not get up on a Sunday morning and go to a church. Now, if the church was just simply the marker for spirituality, then we'd say, wow, we're all in trouble, right? We know that the gospel is going forward even beyond church attendance, but let's take that just as one measurement. Doesn't that tell you something pretty profound? That the harvest is great, like Jesus said in Matthew 9. So tomorrow night, our theme is really on the harvest. It's about how do we see the harvest as Jesus sees it? How do we see the people as helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd? People are moving here from all over the country, and for that matter, for all over the world. It's getting to feel more cosmopolitan, if you will. Just look at license plates. Other than Ohio, right? There are plenty of other folks coming in from all other states and even countries. What that tells me and you is this. We have a great opportunity to learn how do we love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we reach out? How do we see the gospel go forward in this great harvest field we call home? It truly is a great harvest field. Did you know out of 28 people that move here every day in the Tri-County area, I didn't say all this to depress you, by the way. I'm giving you encouragement to say the field is great, but God is greater. 28 people a day, a day moving into Greater Charleston, over 55% of them have no faith background or they're done with church. That, that was good for grandmother and grandpa or mom and dad, but that's, that's not for me. And so when they come, they're not even really looking to find the school and find the house, find the job, and then find the church. It's, it's not even on the radar. And so what that means is that we have to think about how do we extend the gospel to those who are lost, for those who the Savior 
the great Savior is seeking to find. So we have a great privilege. And so in our association, we're praying that God would use our churches like tables, that he would create a place where people can come into and feel welcome, but also would stay and, and understand how good God is. But it might be that our tables begin not in the church, but at our home, because folks aren't looking for the front door of the church. Not many are. Some are, but not many. So we have a great opportunity. I want to call your attention this morning to this idea of the opportunity we have to reach into the harvest by creating tables and displaying the gospel. Will you turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 7? Luke's gospel, chapter 7. And we'll look into God's word this morning and see what he has for us to see. Luke, chapter 7. We'll be beginning look, looking at verses 36. As you turn there, what's interesting about Luke's gospel is that Luke shows Jesus in a very unique way other than the other Gospels. Certainly he he projects him as the Son of Man, but one thing he shows Jesus doing in this Gospel, apart from the other ones, is we see Jesus either going to dinner, or sitting at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Isn't it good to know that you serve a Savior that likes to eat? It's good for me too, right? But that's how Jesus was. He, he wanted to create space for relationships. And so we see in Luke's gospel where Jesus comes to dinner, something profound happens. Now, he was sitting at a table. Now, a table is not sacred. Uh, a table is not supernatural in itself. But it, what happens at that table, what happens between people and relationships, is really where the supernatural comes into play. So I want you to think with me about the common, ordinary thing that we sit at every day. Whether at home, at work, the coffee shop, in the school classroom, we sit at a table. And typically we sit at a table by ourselves, but maybe not by ourselves, with other people in relationship. What we see happening here is Jesus was invited to dinner and something profound took place. Look with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 36 to 38. It says here, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. One thing that I want to point out, the first uh, blank to fill in, is that tables create space for relationships. This is gospel presence. Tables create space for relationship. Notice what this text says. He's invited into a Pharisee's house to have dinner. A woman comes in and she's uninvited, even unwelcomed, I would say. You notice what the text says? It says that she was a sinner. Notice that, that that's pointed out very clearly. It's said again in this text. So as Jesus is sitting there, something that profound happens is that this woman comes in and does something amazing to honor Jesus and to display without saying one word what she believes and who he is. Isn't that amazing? How that faith can believe from the heart and with our mouth we confess. That's where it begins is in the heart. So this woman was believed. She came in and she demonstrated to the crowd around the table. Now, let me give you a picture of how awkward this moment is, if it doesn't look like awkward to you already. Thinking about who Jesus is and thinking about this woman coming in, he is sitting at the table of a Pharisee's house. Now, a Pharisee was a keeper of the law. The the Pharisee crossed T's and dotted I's. 
He, he, they knew exactly how to make sure that everything was just right. So imagine for a moment, a woman comes in. First of all, that was, that was odd in itself. Likely were men sitting around a table. Jesus probably taught in the synagogue. And, and as they were talking, when Jesus leaned back, that usually meant it was time for conversation. And a woman comes in and, and comes right behind Jesus. Jesus is probably on his side with his feet behind him. And she just begins simply to take something that was very precious to her and begins to anoint him. And as she's not saying a word, the room all of a sudden started, started to smell like Chanel. I mean, it was, the air was, it was, it was filled. And guys, you know, if your wife puts on perfume, it just it begins to take over the whole space, right? It's, it's an amazing thing that happens. And the aroma began to fill, fill the room. And what was amazing about this for this particular woman is that she came in not with a good reputation, but a bad one, meaning that she was referred to as a sinner. Yet she was doing something to Jesus that was amazing in itself. In fact, you might even say that she had such a bad reputation that her perfume might have been used in her services that she rendered in the city. That's the kind of situation we were dealing with here. So you see how scandalous this is in this moment? Here's a Pharisee inviting Jesus in, and here's a woman from the street coming in behind Jesus, interrupting the whole dinner. Now what's amazing about that? is that Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, this is the wrong time. If you want to have a conversation with me to be politically correct, we need to step outside and have a conversation. But I'm going to honor the host and, and have a conversation with these men around this table. But instead, Jesus allowed her to come in. Here's what it tells me and tells you is this, is that the gospel gives access for all people. The gospel does not discriminate. It doesn't. And what I love about it is that it's accessible all the time. And so there's an amazing testimony that Jesus is putting on display here. And that's my first point is that tables create space for relationships. This is where we see gospel presence. Tables create space for relationships. This is where we see gospel presence. I love what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, for in so doing, you will bring salvation to yourself and to those who hear you. Meaning, we bring the gospel close whenever we give access to people to hear about Jesus. Now, Jesus is the gospel, isn't he? Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So the important thing about creating a table in this situation is that when the gospel comes to dinner, it creates space for relationships. Interesting thing about this woman is that for some time, she was hiding behind her sin. And that's something we're good at, isn't it? We're, we're, we're typically pretty good at, at hiding, aren't we? As human beings. Remember in the Garden of Eden when God came in the cool of the day and he called out for Adam and Eve? And where were they? They, they were hiding. Well, why were they hiding? They were hiding behind their, their sin. They were hiding behind their, their, their brokenness. And see, this woman, she was done with hiding. And that's the amazing thing that I love about the gospel is that Jesus is seeking those who are done with hiding. This woman came in the room uninvited. She began to get behind Jesus' feet. And get the picture here. She began to get so low to his feet to the ground that she began 
to take the thing very precious to her and open it up and anoint his feet. And then with her tears flowing down, she was cleaning his feet. Now feet are ugly, aren't they? I've never heard of a foot model, have you? I haven't. Feet, feet are just feet, right? They get us around and they do what they do. In Bible days, there weren't, there weren't Reeboks or my, you know, Jordan Airs or whatever you wear. There, there were no closed shoes, and so it was very dirty and dusty. So common, a host would invite someone to come in. They would bathe their feet and then come into the space. Well, in this situation, that didn't happen. But this woman didn't take a basin of water or a towel. She got so low that the tears from her eyes and the very hair on her head she used to wipe the feet of Jesus. Do you see the total submission? Do you see the surrender of her heart? She was done with hiding. Here, now, here's the, that's the bad news, is that we are, we are good at hiding behind our sin. She was done with it. The best news is that Jesus is better at finding. In Mark's gospel, it says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Do you remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. So if you're in Sunday school, you got the song in your mind. Sorry about that. Zacchaeus went up into a tree to look for Jesus because he couldn't see him. He was so small, so short. He was a tax collector. Everyone didn't like the tax collectors. They were thieves. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Where did he go? He went to his house for dinner. He sat at his table while he was sitting there. Amazing things happened. He was transformed. He was transformed and the gospel came into that house. In fact, it says this, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that good news? I like the song that says, It's not just good news. It's the best news ever. It's the best news ever that God is seeking those who were hiding. It was a few years ago that uh, my wife and I got a letter from our homeowners association. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter from the homeowners association, but I'm sure like you and I, it doesn't give you great joy knowing that you've been awarded something, right? It typically means something's wrong and you need to make it right. So we got this letter and it said, uh, it's time for everyone in this development to paint their mailbox posts. I thought, okay, well, that's not at the top of my priority list, you know, but okay, everyone got the letter. Time to paint your mailbox post a certain color because they were getting kind of worn out and ratty looking, I guess. Now, here's what was happening before we got the letter. Rebecca and I have lived in our subdivision for 17 years. And after, seven, after 10 years living there, God began to convict us about something. And that is that we knew our neighbors on either side of our cul-de-sac pretty well, because you go to the mailbox, you say hello, and that's usually the most point of contact. But the other 12 homes down the street, I couldn't name probably but one or two of them. And here's what the Holy Spirit convicted us about before we got that letter. And this is it. He said, you know what? I picked your neighbors for you. You didn't. And every day I drive in and out from that neighborhood, and as I would drive in and out of the neighborhood, I'd pass these people called neighbors that had an address on my street. Well, that really convicted us to the point where we said, Lord, tell us what we need to do to connect with our neighbors 
after 10 years living here. Here's a letter. Go offer to paint their mailbox post. So we did that. We went through one Saturday. It was pretty quick. Instead of doing the hit and run mailbox post painting, you know, we knocked on the door. And I said, hey, my name is Craig. This is my wife, Rebecca. We've lived here for 10 years. Kind of like a walk of shame, really, honestly. We live here for 10 years, and we live on the cul-de-sac. And they also were so glad to meet us. So we took their name down. We went back home, painted all mailbox posts. And the next thing the Holy Spirit led us to do was to begin to pray by name for every neighbor on our street. Just begin to pray. Do simple things. So we began to pray for them. Then we said, okay, Holy Spirit, what's next? Well, it was about Christmas time, and we thought, why don't we invite our neighbors that we know by name now into our home on a Sunday evening for dessert and coffee? So we went around the neighborhood, knocked on the door again, said, hey, this is, remember, we painted your mailbox post, we live in the cul-de-sac, went to the whole introduction again, invited all 14 or 16 families into our home on a Sunday night. Did you know that on that night, 15 families showed up? One did not show up because they sent their regrets, they're out of town. Now, here's what it showed me profoundly. People are looking for community. They just don't know where to find it. And here's what God has showed us. That the first door they might come through is not my church, but it might be my front door. They might come sit at my small table and, and come to a place where they can get connected and we can connect with them. And over the past seven years, it's been amazing to see what God's done just by praying, connecting. Now, every year we do the holiday open house. We share it around the neighborhood. We do some things around Easter time. We do more together. And through those more together times, we've been able to share the gospel. So why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because that's what God's doing in me. If, if I'm going to say as a director of missions or as a pastor, hey, listen, we've got a mission field. Go out and reach it. But if I'm not exampling that for my words, then it's just a message. And so it's so important that we begin to say, how do we take relational responsibility for the people that God's put right around us called neighbors or coworkers or classmates or whatever the next door person might be? And that's what I love about the gospel is that Jesus shows us by example, what do we do? What do you do when someone comes in your house that's not like you? In fact, you wouldn't necessarily invite them to your table if you were looking to invite people, family, friends, VIPs. So what does it look like? And so here's Jesus showing us an example of a woman coming in and doing something extraordinary. Now here's what's interesting also in this text is that we're going to look at Simon now, the guest or the host of the dinner, and see his response. Because if you want to talk about hiding, it looks to me that Simon continued to hide behind his self-righteousness. And we'll see this in this text. Look there with me in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. There it is again. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, sarcastically, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. 
Now here's what's happening. Simon, the host, is saying some things about Jesus. But what I see in this text is it's saying that he's saying these things to himself. In other words, he's probably off the side watching what's happening with this woman behind Jesus. And he's probably saying, I can't believe this. This woman is coming to my house and this man is allowing her, telling her to touch him. And on and on he goes. So he's having kind of this self-dialogue, but Jesus having supernatural hearing and ears, he hears what Simon is saying. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, oh, oh, are you talking to me, Jesus? Oh, yes, please say it. What's interesting is that he demoted him. He demoted Jesus from being a prophet to being a teacher, like in one second. Why? Because he let this woman come in, interrupt his dinner at his house, and do something that seemed to be scandalous. Like, why is Jesus letting all this happen? What I find amazing about the gospel is that the gospel creates tables for real conversations. The gospel creates tables for real conversation. This is gospel purpose. Gospel purpose. A real conversation was starting to be had between Jesus and Simon. It was getting real. You know, it's amazing. I, I have lots of conversations as I sit across uh, a lunch table or an office table or wherever. And like you and I, there's probably five other conversations that are going on as well. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's hard because you're trying to navigate one right in front of you, but then there's five more that are texting you here, um, maybe even calling you while you're in the meeting. What do you do, right? Well, in the age of multiplicity, we can just start doing everything all at one time. And the problem with that a lot of times is that the real relationship that's going on, the real conversation is always right in front of us. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't respond if there's an emergency, right? All those things. But the opportunity for real conversations is something I think in our culture we've got to really dial into more in order to begin to listen and hear where people are. And that's what Jesus did. He was trying to listen to what is Simon saying and what is he thinking? So he said, hey, Simon, I want to show you something. If, a, if someone has a great debt, 500 denarii, and someone has 50, which one will love him more? Who, who responds with greater joy to being forgiven the most? Now, who is he talking to? Jesus is talking in, very directly and indirectly somewhat about the woman that's behind him, right? And Simon's thinking the same thing. Man, Jesus just nailed it. This woman's got so much debt. She's a sinner. Now, I just wonder if we take the righteousness scale and we put Jesus on it and we take our, let's say, our, our good, our, our self-righteousness and put it on the other side. The, the prophet Isaiah said that it's, it doesn't weigh out at all. All his sin and come short of the glory of God. And compared to God's righteousness, only Jesus provides something for us in the gospel that we desperately need. You see, this woman, was, she was filled with hiding behind her sin righteousness, meaning that I'm justified with my individual ways. I'm going to live it up because tomorrow I'm going to die anyways. And here's Simon in the house living it up in his self-righteousness saying, I can't believe Jesus would allow this to happen. And what Jesus is doing desperately is he's having a real conversation about the gospel into Simon's heart, saying to him, Simon, you're the one right now with the greater debt. And you don't know it. 
You see, that's a real conversation. It's amazing as you meet people and as I meet people all over the city, neighbors, coworkers, friends, as you meet people all around the city, if we have enough time, if we're not on an elevator, we might have the opportunity to kind of ask, hey, where are you from? Uh, what do you do for a living? You might get beyond the hello and the highs. But what happens eventually is if you spend enough time, time with someone, they will begin to tell you whether they're having a good day or a bad day. And that good day or bad day may translate even deeper. They might even say, there's a lot of things in my life that are messed up. Because you're listening to them. They may even tell you, if you have enough time, and they're talking with their open heart and open mind and open mic, they might even say to you and I, let me tell you what I'm doing to fix it. This is how I'm going to make it right. And when everything is made right, this is what it's going to look like. Now, what's interesting about that is that everyone has their own, if you will, gospel story. In other words, if we take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we have an amazing story. It begins in a garden and it ends in a city. And in between those two bookends is the reality of creation, the fall of mankind, redemption through Jesus, and ultimately restoration that is to come. So what's amazing to me is that someone's life is also played out in the same drum. They'll tell you where they're from. They'll tell you when the world kind of crashed and burned, when, when their parents got divorced, when, when cancer came, when all the things that, that we just show the brokenness in our lives and brokenness in the world, that everything fell apart, and then what we try to do to fix it, our own kind of functional saviors, if you will. So as they tell their gospel story, what's true to them and what's true about how they're going to manage this thing called life, we have an opportunity to say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I remember when things fell apart in my family. I remember when it fell apart for me. But let me tell you what changed. And it wasn't my circumstances. It was my heart and my soul because I found a better savior than the one I was trying to create. And you see, in that moment, in that, in that crossroad, we, we have an intersection of implanting the gospel just through our own story. This is how Jesus is a better savior to me than what I was trying to create on my own. You're sharing the gospel. And see, Simon and Jesus are having a very informal, open conversation about a real situation happening right in his house. And I believe that as people come to our tables and they sit there, we have the opportunity to have real conversation. We have the opportunity to display the gospel. What I love about the gospel is that this outsider behind Jesus became an insider at the table with Jesus. And that's what happens with the gospel. It makes everything new. It changes everything. Outsiders become insiders at the table with Jesus. I love the song that says, once your enemy, but now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Isn't that good news? That we've been invited to a table. Now here's the amazing thing that the gospel brings that we can't bring on our own. We can't, we can't manufacture it, and that's forgiveness. So Jesus talks about that straight away. What's interesting about forgiveness is that forgiveness is generous. Anytime someone forgives a debt, the forgiver has to still pay the debt. In other words, the one being forgiven feels the release of the burden. 
But the one who is forgiving now takes on a new weight. In fact, Isaiah said it, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now here's the good news of the gospel. The very thing that God demands from us is the very thing that he provides for us in the gospel. In other words, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, took upon the weight of our sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see that amazing reality, that amazing exchange that God took for us? Now that's where there's good news because we were once outsiders. And the gospel brings us in to become not just forgiven, but we become family. Like we become brothers and sisters, don't we? That's an amazing thing that the gospel does for us. Outsiders become insiders at the table with Jesus. This is what makes the gospel good news all over again. He paid a debt, right? As the saying goes, he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. That's good news. Lastly, let's look at the text as Jesus wraps up his words and his teaching to these two individuals and all around him. In verse 44, it says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, lastly, as we hear this story and what Jesus is doing, he's displaying for us the gospel. Tables promote love for reconciling relationships. Tables promote love for reconciling relationships. This is gospel power. Gospel power. It's an amazing thing. The greatest power in the universe is the grace of God. It's freely given but it was costly for our Savior to pay. And as we receive it, we receive it with gratitude. And here's this woman who, when she came in, she poured out everything she had. She took something very precious to her, and she said, Jesus, I believe in who you are. In fact, the word for tears in, in from her eyes is literally translated heart water. So out of her heart poured everything she believed about who Jesus was. What I'm amazed at is Jesus is seeking the lost. What if Jesus is saying to us today, I want to use your table. I want your table. I want the table you owe, you own. I want the ones that you borrow. I want every table that you sit at to put something on display. And that is the amazing grace that only Jesus brings. And it begins by not you having to speak all of the theological truth you know. In fact, that's the first way to turn somebody off and say, see you later, you're a kook, right? <laughs> For a lot of people. 
but begin to listen with your ears and ask questions. You see Jesus asking those questions, and what happens is a dialogue begins to start, and when you hear their story, you share your story, you simply are saying, Jesus is the best Savior that there is in the universe, that he's the only one that you can put your faith in and have salvation in, and invite them to do that at the right time. I love this how Jesus was not only loving the woman behind him by welcoming her and saying, your sins are forgiven, but he was also pleading to Simon in his self-righteousness, stop hiding behind your self-righteousness and look at forgiveness for what it is. Put your trust in me. I believe we have an opportunity all over the Tri-County area to do that every day. Every opportunity, you sit at a table, we have an opportunity, whether it's your neighborhood, your school, your work, anywhere. I'm amazed as Citadel Square, um, as we become the, the new really family there together, what's been amazing to me, aside from that amazing miracle of God working through and bringing new life to a church, is that we have a boundary line right between us with the Emmanuel AME Church. So on that block right there is Citadel Square Baptist Church and the Emmanuel AME Church where the tragedy took place years ago. We, we couldn't really be any different than what we are. It's an African, American, uh, um, African Methodist Episcopal Church and a Southern Baptist Church, for one. It's a black congregation and a predominantly white congregation that we are. And there's just so many things beyond a property line that kind of divide us. But here's what's uniting us as we become neighbors, is that we've begun to learn each other's names. We've learned how to pray for one another. We have learned how to say, we're here to serve you. And they've said the same to us. They love Jesus, maybe more than we do. I'm not sure. But the point is, we both love him. And we both want to make him known. What's amazing to me in this story, in the story downtown, is that faith comes alive when the gospel comes to dinner. Faith comes alive when the gospel comes to dinner. We've seen amazing things happen in our city. Tragedies, many blessings. We've seen uniting and dividing. We're at a time where things seem to be like the polar opposites of each other. And there's one thing that unites us, and that's the gospel. It wasn't long ago that a stranger came to their Bible study on a Wednesday night sat down among them. Myra Thompson, Pastor Anthony, has become a dear friend of mine. She was opening the Bible with the Gospel of Mark, teaching out of the four soils, and Dylan Roof sat there. What came to mind for me as I thought about that story over and again is in the Psalms it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, you and I would not inadvertently just invite an enemy to come to dinner, would we? They're not on my top list to invite to dinner or go to lunch with. But if we think about the reality of our spiritual condition, think about the reality of what happened at Emmanuel. An enemy came in and sat at that table. And yes, precious lives were taken. But here's what's amazing, that out of the ashes arises a beauty of gospel grace. These survivors, family members, are proclaiming the gospel through the tragedy and through all the brokenness. Why? Because grace always wins. Grace always wins. 
And many times we need to look at grace again and put amazing back into it. Not that it that, not that God's not able to do that, but for our eyes and our ordinary lives, many times we lose the grip of the extraordinary that God does in moments in our city or among us. So I, I want to encourage you today as we close this morning is to, is to consider the reality of the table that God has given to us. The question is, who are people that are close to you but are far from God? What are their names? Begin to pray for them. What practical next steps can you take to provide access to others? Is the gospel good news again for you this morning? If it's good news again for you today, as a result of us hearing from God's word, it'll be good news for those that you talk to this week. I promise you that. Ashley River is a great table. And I love what the psalmist said when he quoted the taunts of the nations when Israel was exiled out in the wilderness. They asked the question, can God provide a table in the wilderness? And God did just that. Quail from heaven, right? Manna from the earth. He took care of his people. I believe that a church like Ashley River and every church in our association and every church that names Jesus as Savior is like a table prepared in a wilderness, a spiritual wilderness where people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're helpless and harassed. And the question is, how can we take time to listen at a table to what is harassing them? What is giving them hopelessness? We know if they don't have Jesus, then they don't have hope in their heart. But we have the opportunity to speak that into their lives. So I encourage you, as we're in this together, 78 churches, let's make our tables display the gospel and show forth the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of this day and the joy it is to call you Father, that we have been invited into your family. Thank you, God, for the table that you put on display by bringing your disciples together and taking a cup and a bread, and you broke the bread and you drank the cup, and you said, this is, this is my body, this is my blood offered for you. Thank you, God, that in Revelation we read about a table that's to come that will sit at a banquet table together and we will once again sit at your feet. But until then, let us be a people who makes our tables as a ministry tool to open the access to those around us that don't know you, just to listen to their story and then let them hear the gospel goodness of your grace through our story. God, would you take Ashley River and continue to use it as a great light great salt in this community. To the hungry, the hurting, this spiritual wilderness, will you provide a great table that will feed and bring people to yourself. We thank you for what you do, and thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.